Let's pray together and thanks God for the blessing and the privilege we have to worship him. Father, we're humbled just to be here. The words of the song remind us of your grace, your generosity, so much of what you've done for us. And so we gather here this morning to worship you because you alone are worthy. Our mind and hearts are fixed on you, an audience of one, because there is no other God that we should set before us. And so we ask this morning, Lord, for forgiveness for all the idols that we put into our lives. Things that distract us, things that take our attention, things that cause us to do violence to each other. You haven't placed them there, but we've allowed them to come into our lives. We pray together this morning, Lord, that as we look into your word, your spirit would speak to us. Your spirit would empower us to do what we need to do, to confess what we need to confess, to repent what we need to repent, to just really understand that, that we are called to be your bride, and we settle for so much less. I thank you, Lord, for everyone here this morning. They are people that have been created in your image. They might not know that. They may not see that. They may not feel that, but that doesn't take away from the reality of who they are. For those that really haven't made a decision to accept you, I pray this morning that as we look into your word, their hearts are strangely warm to to do that. For those that just have allowed you to be secondary. May they understand what an incredible opportunity and privilege it is to put you first and foremost. Lord, we pray for our nation. Forgive us for turning away from you. We pray for our leaders, that they would be leaders. We pray for our families, Lord, that So much of what we do and say and get caught up to has nothing to do with you. But I pray that you make them strong and faithful. I pray for our children. That rather than grow up to be like us, they grow up to be like you. I pray for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. That they may see your face. Again, Lord, we thank you that we have this privilege to be here. As we look to your word, may your spirit speak to us in ways that we cannot speak to ourselves. But thank you, Lord. Thank you for your son, and we pray in his, in his name, because his name alone is worthy. And everyone said, amen. Good morning. For those that are visiting, um, we have been in a short series looking at what it means to be generous, transformational generosity. And it has a lot more to do than just with our stuff. Rather, it's a complete lifestyle. And just by way of quick review, the first week, this was the core idea. If Christ is enough, we would be living very differently than we do. And we talked about what that looked like. The second week, God sees everyone and everything differently than we do. And this morning, the key idea is 
gratitude is the heart of generosity. Now, I want to go back to this whole lifestyle thing. It has to be in our DNA. It has to be who we are. And our doing flows out of who we are. If we don't, then we are just doing things and we grow resentful and angry and bitter because we have to do these things. See, when generosity flows out of gratitude, we want to do these things. Now I want to tell a story and then talk about another situation. And I'm going to give you a vote this morning whether or not this person was generous. My wife and I were attending a conference out on the West Coast. And there were several other pastors that we knew from the area. And one of the key leaders of a particular domination thought it would be a good idea for all of us to get together for lunch. So we did. And we had a great time talking about what was happening and who God is and in our lives and what that means for ministry. And it came to pay the bill. And the waitress came, and there was probably about 12 of us around the table, and the person said, well, can we have separate checks? And she says, I'm sorry, we don't do that. And he looked at her and said, but we have to have separate, separate checks. And she goes, but we don't do that. He goes, but you don't understand. We need separate checks. And there's this argument going on, so I finally looked at my wife, and I said, okay, listen, we'll just take care of it. And I said, everybody just, you know, lay down a couple bucks for a tip. To that end, the leader who wanted separate checks looked at the waitress and says, can I have a receipt for my $2 tip? Now, how many people felt that individual was generous? Raise your hand. How many people felt he could have did a little bit better with generosity? Raise your hand. Yeah. I mean, we are witnesses out in our world. And that brings me to the second item. I hear from a lot of waitresses and waiters, and my daughter, who used to be a waitress included, that said they did not like to work Sundays because the tips are so bad. Now, is that a witness of generosity when Christians go in and are known as bad tippers? Now, I know all the logic some people use saying, well, we shouldn't have to pay for the help of the restaurant, things like this. But that's not the waitress or waiter's fault. Do we understand that it has to be part of our DNA? We have a, we have a heart issue, don't we? If we're going to have a heart of generosity, a heart of gratitude, think about our society for a moment. And think about how ingratitude is an integral part of our society. If you ask most people, are they ungrateful? They probably will reply, of course not. And then they go on and complain about something they're not thankful for. But this attitude is so ingrained in American culture that we cannot openly admit it or realize it. That we have this idolatry of ingratitude. When you look at idols taking away the grace and the love and the peace and the joy and all those things that are part of the fruit of the Spirit. See, idols are expressions of the heart that say, we want more. That Christ is not enough. Idols are, are when we look for satisfaction elsewhere rather than in Christ. Now I got another little quiz for you. Who said this? Here's a quote. 
Do we have the quote up there? There it is. Who said this? We have been recipients of the choicest blessings of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand that preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched us and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Anybody want to take a wild crack at who said that? We have a man that knows. Abraham Lincoln. Can you imagine how many years ago this was stated that our nation forgot God? If he were alive today, what would he say? This country, we enjoy plentiful food, shelter, electricity, running water, wealth, air conditioning, heating, transportation, sanitation, many other blessings. And we just fail to take the moment and look around and take fully in of how many blessings we have. Now, let's contrast with Iran for a moment. By the way, if you want to prepare for our upcoming series, start reading 1 Peter. And it's relevant to what's going on in Iran. If you haven't been following, if you understand that in Iran right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's an automatic death sentence. There are more Christians being killed right now. There's such an onslaught. And it just kind of goes past us, doesn't it? But in 1 Peter, we're going to be talking about what, it, what it's like to live in the midst of suffering. In nations where being a Christian brings a death sentence, in our nation where we have freedom right now to worship, we are filled with chronic grumblers, aren't we? And complainers. Although there are countless blessings, there always seems to be countless things to gripe about. Be it traffic, the economy, food prices, problems at work, difficulties with family, desire for additional material blessings, ill health. See, the issue is our heart. The issue is that our eye is out of focus. The issue that our, is that our lives are, are, are misaligned with values. We remember the wrong things and forget the things we ought to remember. But the real hard issue is that we're ungrateful to a God who lavishes his generosity on us every single day. Amen. Romans one twenty one. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. See how that progression goes? And then here's what happens. When we lose a heart of gratitude, here's what happens. They become futile in their thinking. That means empty. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Our mental and our emotional states are changed when we forget about the blessings of God and are thankful for those. How many of you enjoyed the songs we sang this morning? Did you believe what we sang? I mean, we sang about his blessing. We sang about his love. We sang, to God be the glory, great things he has done. But are we living those words? I want you to turn to our text for the morning, Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to give you the context. Paul is illustrating how we should live as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And so he uses this common analogy. He talks about how we dress. Of course, he's not concerned about how we dress. He's concerned about the things that we put on and into our lives. He's talking about our character. So he says things like this, put off this and put on this. Put off the grave clothes of sin and put on the grace clothes of Christ. And it reminds us of things about God's grace. He says he chose us. He sets us apart. That means that we're holy. He loves us. He forgives us. We talked about forgiveness last week. And as a consequence of those truths in our lives, he says you ought to put on these kinds of things. Compassion, kindness, a humble mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. And, And I could spend an entire morning talking about those characteristics. But at verse 15, we're going to pick up there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. He begins by saying this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is an athletic term. The word rule means there's a person to make sure the games are played according to the rules. We call them referees, umpires, those kinds of things. So he talks about this peace of God. And if we have peace with God, we have peace with each other. If we don't have peace with God, we don't have peace with each other. And so if we don't have peace with each other, it's an indication of our heart that the peace of God is not ruling in our lives. Now, again, this does not mean we will not disagree. There's a variety of personalities and preferences, and there will be what we call a conflict. Conflict is not bad. People like different things. That's okay. But it's not okay to not let the peace of God, Christ, rule our hearts. Next phrase, to which indeed you were called in one body. See, our calling is to be the church. And when you think about the church, you have to apply diversity. Why? Because there are many locations that need the presence of Christ. There's diversity in personalities, talents, and gifts. I mean, one of the core values we have is that we are incarnate. Christ was incarnate with us, God in flesh, down to earth in the form of Christ. So we are to incarnate Christ to the world. That's why we're called Christians. And God uses this incredible diversity to do that. See, the problem we have is we have this cult of sameness. We think everybody should think like us, look like us, act like us, enjoy the same things like us, and what's wrong with them when they don't? Well, guess what? God has called them to reach a different people than you. See, what drives most people is not calling. What drives most people is personalities and preferences. That's why we have the cult of celebrity worship in our culture. And we've allowed the kingdom of this world to dictate its terms for life instead of the kingdom of God. And so we're more concerned about pay and position and prestige than we are calling to be the church. Now, someone who was caught up in that wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And here's what he says about life at the end of his life. 
Just listen to these verses. The words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, or translation, empty, empty, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? All things are full of weariness. So he pursued all those core values of the kingdom of this world. He comes up and says, listen, everything is empty. It's empty. It's useless. At the end of my life, it's just weariness when I look back. He says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. And it just talks about discontent. Nothing makes you happy when you pursue things instead of Christ. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. You ever try to capture the wind? (laughs) You can't. But here's where the trouble started. He's talking about his life, and his core value is this. It's found in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. See, that's where it started. That verse sounds like it could fit American culture, doesn't it? Now, what calling does is it keeps us focused. See, calling brings unity because it, it allows people to be diverse in who they are because we're all about the mission. See, calling means that we're part of something much larger than ourselves. And calling has consequences. Now, again, consequences, um, they're not right or wrong. They just are. And let me tell you two brief stories that illustrate this. First is the story of a young couple that I had the privilege of knowing in my last church. And they were part of our prominent business making six figures. They got called to work with junior high kids. Now, we had a very large group of junior high kids, about 50 of them. I put them in as a volunteer. At the end of the year, I said, and this group of junior high kids, they were the worst group I've ever seen in my entire ministry. Okay? They were bad. At the end of the year, I, I looked at them and said, so what'd you think? And they looked at me and said, this was great. We want to do this for the rest of our lives. I'm like, man, we got to get them on staff somewhere. And so they worked for us. And they had such a servant's heart. And this illustrates what kind of heart they had. We came to a point where we were going to hire a youth pastor full time. And I had been working with another volunteer one of their peers, and I wanted him to step into this ministry. And, of course, this person applied for the job, and I had to sit down with him and said, listen, I got someone else in mind, and here it is, and, yes, you've been working side-by-side with this person for the last two years, but here's why I want them to step in. But if you want to do this, and I set some goals out about their calling. I said, if you're called... And immediately he enrolled in Lancaster Bible College. At the end of four years, we hired him full-time. He wasn't angry. He wasn't upset that somebody else got the job that he wanted. See, that's the servant's heart. And I've got to tell you that a junior high youth pastor working in Mannheim, PA, does not make six figures that he could have made at his place of work. Do you see the consequences? There's this error in our thinking and living that calling is just for missionaries and preachers. 
Heard a story, again, recounted this past week about some Amish families that were called by God. And it cost them. They were shunned. Of course, that means an Amish community because they decided to still remain in the Amish traditions. And you ask why? Well, they wanted to reach their people. But it cost them. It cost them work because shunning means they're not going to get any work from any Amish families. They couldn't sell their house. I remember saying, because, you know, who wants to buy a house with no electric in it except Amish people? And they wouldn't buy it. But God has led them to some remarkable places in ministry where they still practice much of the Amish traditions. I'd like to get them here some morning just to tell their story. If you are here a few months ago, these are the families that end up in a in Iraq working with military leaders as prayer warriors. I mean, it's a fascinating story. So we're called. Peace of God is supposed to rule in our hearts. We are called to be the church. And look at the next phrase. And be thankful. Now the timeless question is, how do I become more like Jesus? What that means is that we're authentic, we're a people of integrity, we bless people, even those that are hostile and angry towards us. So why would he put and be thankful? I mean, think about the peace of God ruling. Think about called to be the church. And he says, by the way, if you're going to pull these two things off, you got to have a heart of gratitude. I ran across a, a study this past week, and, and sociology is the study of people and cultures. And what this study did was it took 5,000 Christians that were considered extremely mature and key leaders in their countries and did all kinds of surveys. But these were mature, devoted followers of Jesus. And they put in all this data. And after it all came out in form, there was one characteristic that stood above the rest. Every single one of these people, regardless of their circumstance and situation, and some were living in pretty extreme, hostile environments, the key characteristic was they were all grateful. Now think for a moment in our own culture. We talk about mentoring and discipling. And we have our lists. We've got to teach people how to pray and how to read the Bible and study the Bible. We talk about 12 disciplines and all those kinds of things. How many times have you heard about teaching someone how to be grateful? It's rarely considered. Yet an old philosopher by the name of Cicero said, gratitude is the parent of all virtues. And be thankful. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell means to inhabit, to live in you. It literally means to be at home. Let God's word be at home in your life, deep inside you. I ran across a term some years ago that some theologians use. They, they call it the poverty of Scripture. And they use this term to speak of people who know a lot of Scripture, but they don't take it in. They know the facts. They can quote the verses. They can tell you who did what, where, when, how. But somewhere, the word of God is not dwelling. It's not at home in their life. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We must not have a poverty of words in our music. Now, I know most of the arguments over music today have to do not with words, but style. 
In our style, we often give religious language to it, don't we? It, I mean, why do we call gospel music gospel music? Why do we call some music sacred? I mean, it all better be Christ, Word of God-centered, Spirit-centered in its content. But sometimes to justify our own preferences, we attach religious language to it. But see, when the Word of God dwells in our life, when it's at home, we end up teaching and monitoring each other. And we become wise. We don't become futile and empty in our thinking like Romans 1 where they weren't thankful. They didn't honor God. They didn't revere God. They didn't give him the glory like they should. And then he says this, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, this is the second time he brings up the subject of gratitude. We cannot decouple this. If we're going to be sacred, holy, word of God, speak people, We must approach all our worship with gratitude. And then in verse 17, he says this, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, there's the third time, to God the Father through him. And what he's saying is when you leave this place, when you go home, when you go back to your jobs, when you get together with your friends, when you're in your home alone with your spouse and your kids, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus And give thanks every single time. If we're going to have this core DNA, this core value of generosity, we must be a thankful, gracious people, or it will never exist. It'll never exist. Now, this is a constant theme of Paul. He keeps writing about this over and over and over again. What does that tell you? It tells you we're hard-headed. We don't listen. So he has to keep repeating himself. You heard of the story about the preacher that was hired by a church? And he preached a wonderful sermon. Everybody's saying, wow, we got a really good preacher. They came back the second week, and, and he preached the same message. And they started thinking, well, it was good, but we don't know if it was that good to hear it twice. But we'll see what happens the third week. He comes back third week, and he preaches it again. And they're like, okay, we're going to send the elders and the deacons to sit down and talk to the pastor. And, and they said, Pastor, do you know that you've been preaching the same message three times in a row? He goes, yes. He goes, I'm aware. They go, well, what's, what's wrong? He goes, well, you haven't done anything about the first one yet. I feel like that's Paul. I mean, listen to this, Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he tells us what it is. We're supposed to fill ourselves with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's that phrase again. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. We sang about that this morning, about singing as a bride to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything. Giving thanks always for everything. I mean, Paul repeats this over and over and over again to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of my key propositions this morning is the reason we are not very grateful is because we don't understand what reverence is. We don't have a lot of reverence today for anyone or anything. And that's tragic. We don't understand who the real enemy is. We think it's each other. 
but it's really the principalities and powers. It's the philosophy. It's the vain thinking. It's the empty living. It's all those idols that people chase. Let me give you two principles. First, everything is a gift. And please understand this sense of entitlement in American culture is killing us. It's killing us economically, it's killing us politically, and it is killing us spiritually. Again, just listen to these verses. They're found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you want to write it down. First 14 verses list the wonderful blessings of God. But listen to what the author says to the people then. Verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. See, they had life too good. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies from whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. There is a famine today in people's lives. It may not be economic. They may have a lot of stuff. But let me tell you, spiritually and emotionally and physically, there is a famine in our country. And it's because we did not know how to serve with joyfulness and gladness and thanksgiving. Now, it's been said that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And if we're like Israel in Deuteronomy that sees how much we can get and we don't see how much we can give then we will end up in poverty. Focus today is, is on what we think we do not have. As a consequence, we do violence to each other. And we see violence in our streets, don't we? Think about the riots. Think about the police officer in Texas this past week that somebody just went up and shot in the back of the head just because he was a police officer. Think about the violence in our homes. Think about the words and the attitudes and often the physical punishment we give to each other. All because we don't think we're getting what we should get. Think about the schools and the colleges. I mean, they got metal detectors going into a lot of our city schools now. they got campus police. But the point of all this is, what do we do with this incredible gift that God gave us? Are we thankful and like last week I said, you know, we need to start a culture of being nice. And that will be very attractive. I think we start a, a culture of thanksgiving. That will just draw people this way because people like to be around people that have joy and happiness and thankfulness, don't they? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Just let me reaffirm this first principle by what Paul writes again. He says, the point is this in verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or on a compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We love quoting verse 8. We don't like quoting verse 6 and 7. Here's my second principle. Gratitude begins with taking charge of your thought life. Our minds are incubators. Paul tells us that we should have the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this attitude or let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And he goes on with these wonderful descriptions of who he was and how he served in humility. 
He tells us to remember and give thanks over and over and over again. He tells us that we have to tear down idols in our culture. Here's one suggestion I want to give you this morning. Keep a gratitude journal. Remember I said we tend to forget things we should remember, and we remember things we should forget? I mean, in this gratitude journal, write down answers to prayer. Write down things you're thankful for. Write down just a blessing that you see that makes you smile. Write it down, and when you get grumpy, open it up and start reading. Now, let me give an illustration. It's a silly illustration, okay? Will you forgive me for a silly illustration? Okay. I heard a yeah over here from a child. That's all I need. I want to talk about the ladies' bathroom for a moment. It's in renovation, and it's not quite finished. And I'm sure that those that went in this morning had a myriad of opinions about what they saw. However, if you just got back from Zimbabwe for two weeks... And out in the bush, you had nothing but a squatty potty. Do you know what that is? That's a hole in the ground. And you always check for snakes before you used it. And because Americans don't know how to squat, they always put posts for us so that we could actually hang on to something. After two weeks of that, you'd be so grateful for anything indoors and clean. You'd be so grateful for anything that you didn't have to check for snakes for first. Now, if there's anything else in our mind rather than gratitude, here's what happens. You walk and say, who chose these colors? Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you think if you got 200 women in the same room that they could all come up and agree with the same color? No, that ain't going to happen. Why? Because we just have different preferences, and that's okay. So be grateful for what we have. And, you know, they, they've done medical studies. Gratitude is linked to critical outcomes. It's linked to life satisfaction. It's linked to vitality, happiness, hope, empathy, generosity. It's linked to our physical health. So here's my challenge for the week. Seek ways to be more generous. Look for them. Purpose in your heart that you're going to wake up every morning and say, Lord, how can I bless somebody? Seek ways that you can fill your heart with thanksgiving. And when you see something, just thank God for it. Write it down. When you're tempted to grumble, stop. And look for something you can be thankful for. Pray for new eyes and new hearts. Put off the grave clothes of sin. Put on the grace clothes of Christ. You know, it should be part of our prayer life. This evening, um, we're doing something that really hasn't been done before, at least for a while. And in the um, old sanctuary, there is something going to be set up called a prayer walk from 7 to 9. It's an opportunity for you to come and pray at your own leisure, to confess what needs to be confessed, to pray for things that need to be prayed for, There'll be an opportunity for you to serve communion as well. And it might be a place to start for you that if God has convicted you about your own heart 
to come and just pray for a heart of gratitude. You know, part of our confession, you know, confession means we're going to stop it. And there's so much accumulation of idols that it's really kind of hard to work through that, isn't it? I think there's a few basics if we get right, we can have this DNA called generosity in our church. And it will so stand out in Lancaster County that local restaurants will want our people to come and worship there afterwards. You know, we worship as we eat together. We're going to close with a song. I'm going to invite the group to come up. It's a new song. And as they sing this, I want you to meditate in the words. Ryan's going to lead it for us. The chorus is fairly simple to pick up, so you're invited to sing at whatever part you feel comfortable. But meditate on these words. Feel free to join in, but focus on the message of what we have to say. Let me pray with you first. Gracious Father, I pray that you take your word this morning and rather than have a poverty of Scripture, that it becomes something that dwells deeply in our lives, that it's at home that your peace of God directs us so we have peace with each other, that, as you said three times in this passage, that we are thankful, that we are thankful, that we are thankful. May we look at the opportunities to bless, because we are so blessed. May each day be a realization that we are called to be your body, and, and thank you for the diversity, because there are so many opportunities to be Christ. And may we appreciate each other, even with our differences. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here. Thank you for your son. Thank you that we have the freedom to worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.